2: To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor.
0: See, the Lord Jesus Christ, he had this complete obedience because he both had an outward obedience from his flesh and he had an inward obedience from his heart. And that's what God requires of us, both. Which is why Moses said in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, Deuteronomy 36, And the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart and the heart of thy seed. To love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul thou mayest live. Circumcise thine heart? What? How's that done? How's that work? I understand how to circumcise the flesh. You call the moil, he comes with the wooden box, like my grandfather, very sharp knife, and he will circumcise the flesh. But who do you call when you want to circumcise the heart? What's he going to come with to circumcise the heart? In Ezekiel 44, 9, it says, Thus saith the Lord God, No stranger uncircumcised in heart, nor uncircumcised in flesh, shall enter into my sanctuary, choose two, two, or any strangers among the children of Israel. Uncircumcised in heart, that's inner obedience. Uncircumcised in flesh, that's outward obedience. That's what it means when it says in Romans two twenty-eight, he's not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he's a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, So we've seen how the Lord Jesus Christ obeyed from the heart the command of God to go into the world and die to save sinners. That's what made the difference in the Lord Jesus that made him so perfect was that he embraced inwardly that same love of the Father that motivated the Father to send him in the first place. And there's something that we see in what the Lord Jesus Christ did and he tells us how much he embraced this love that motivated the father to send him is because if the Lord Jesus resented or despised that he was sent for something he didn't do, he never would have seen himself as privileged. And he, he saw himself that way. He says he despised the shame in Hebrews 12:2, two, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, or he could even say the privilege of the joy that was set before him. What joy? bringing many sons to glory. He endured the cross, despising the shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He despised the shame. He never despised that he was sent into that shame. He never despised that he was sent to atone for that sin. He spoke of being sent as a privilege. He spoke of himself as being sent like a badge of honor that he wore. I am happy to be sent by God just think of how he wore that title, that badge of honor there as he was sent by the Father. And he said in Luke four eighteen, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those that are bruised. In John 5, 23, he said that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son Honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. He loved that title. I'm sent by God. Then John 6, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me. Draw him, and I'll raise him up the last day. In John 6, 29, Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God that you believe on him whom he hath sent. Every time he says this, you can see him polishing off that badge sent by God. In John eight twenty nine, He that sent me is with me. The Father hath not let me alone. John 8, 42, Jesus said unto him, If you are of the Father, you'd love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. It was a captivating thought for him. It was a thought that he loved. And when others saw the Lord Jesus, that's what they saw. He was sent from God. As Nicodemus said when he came to him by night, in John 3, 2, the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher Come from God, for no man can do these miracles as I do us except God be with him. And when Ruth saw Boaz coming to her, she knew that was the decision of Boaz. And there was no way that she would have or even could have spoken to Boaz unless he first decided to come and speak to her, which he did. We can't imagine what it was like for Ruth to see Boaz coming to her. Can you imagine? You say, Is it really him? He's coming to me? And when Boaz spoke to her, her whole life changed. Everything changed in her life from a life of destruction to a new life of building. We can't imagine how those first words that Ruth heard, it changed her whole life from darkness to light. Everything changed with Ruth when she heard the voice of Boaz speaking to her. And here we see ourselves in that scene. Because when we heard the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Bible speaking to us, all of a sudden, the Bible went from just being a religious book to being coming I mean, the Word of God to us, sent to us. Everything changed for us when we heard in our souls the voice of God speaking to us through the Bible. What a difference. Just words meant to Ruth when she heard the words of Boaz. And what a difference just words meant to us when we heard the Lord Jesus Christ speaking through the book. And what words did Ruth hear? What did she hear from Boaz? Words she'd never heard before. Promises. Promises. See, that's what he said. He's gonna, like, promises is what he came with. Promise how she's going to be taken care of. She's going to be taken care of with a safe place to work, with food to eat, with water to drink, as in verse 9. And what words did we hear from God in Isaiah 45, 22, Look unto me. Be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. I'm God, none else. Promises to be cared for in salvation. John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Promises to be cared for securely. John three sixteen. he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Romans six twenty three. the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. John six forty seven. verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. 1 John 2, 25, this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. Promise to be cared for with eternal life. John 6, 40, this is the will of him that sent me. Everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. And I'll raise him up at the last day. Promise to be cared for by being raised up out of our graves. John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus said unto her, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Promise to be cared for by being brought right through death into life. John 5, 24, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Promised to be cared for by being passed right out of condemnation and death into life. John 6, 35, Jesus said unto him, I'm the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth in me shall never thirst. Promise to never again experience soul hunger. Never again experience soul thirst. He that believeth in me, the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water, John 7:38. Promised to be cared for by being given a life purpose of giving others the word of life. 1 Samuel 2:9, he will keep the feet of his saints. Psalm 37, 28. The Lord loveth judgment, forsaketh not his saints, they are preserved forever. Jude one twenty four now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy what are these promises to be cared for with protection and with preservation John fourteen twelve verily verily I say unto you he that believeth on me the works that I do shall he do also and greater works than these shall he do because I go to my Father promise to be cared for by given a life purpose a purpose in life our real purpose in life, of doing the works of God. Hebrews 13, 5, Let your conversation be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Promise to be cared for with the presence of God that he'll never leave us or abandon us. 1 Thessalonians 4, 17, So shall we ever be with the Lord. Promise to be with God forever. Ruth's life was changed when she heard and believed these promises that Boaz made to her, just as our life was changed when we heard and believed the promises that the Lord Jesus Christ made to us, Ruth's life was changed when she heard and she believed promises. That's the same with us, and we can't imagine what it was like for Ruth to hear these words from Boaz. I mean, here was one of the people of God speaking to her things she never heard before. Wait, look at verse twelve. She's being hearing about being. Paid back by God? Being rewarded by God? About something about an overshadowing, protecting wings of God? She's not being spoken down to by Boaz. She's being addressed by Boaz as an equal. And what she heard went far beyond her expectations. She didn't expect any of this. And so Ruth's response to Boaz is clearly seen in verse 10 when she said, Then she fell down on her face and bowed herself to the ground. Said unto him, why have I found grace in thine eyes? that Thou shouldst take knowledge of me, seeing I'm a stranger. Verse 13, then she said, let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for thou hast comforted me, spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, though I be not like one of thine handmaidens. See, verse 13, when it says, let me find favor in thy sight, that's not a request. That's a statement of, oh, the favor that I've found in your sight. See, there's one word to describe Ruth's reaction to Boaz, and that is gratitude. She is thankful. That was Ruth's decision to be grateful to Boaz. And she expressed that gratitude by bowing and telling Boaz, oh, the grace that I found in your eyes, in verse 10. Oh, the favor that I found in your sight, in verse 13. That was Ruth's way of saying how grateful she was to Boaz. Ruth was filled with gratitude And she didn't have to be, but that's what defined Ruth. She was a grateful person. If we were to look at ourselves in the mirror today and we ask the question, would we see a grateful person? We look in the mirror, we'd say, now that's a grateful person. A grateful person is a thankful person. A grateful person is a thoughtful person. See, notice how Ruth didn't say to Ruth, boy, thanks a lot. Well, she wouldn't have said boy, but anyway, thank you, thanks, thanks a lot. See, Ruth thought about what she was thankful for and she expressed it. She expressed it in verse 10 when she said, you took notice of, I have been thinking, you took notice of me, even though I'm a stranger. And in verse 13, she said, I'm not like one of your handmaidens. A grateful person is a person who is specific in what he or she is thankful for. That's Ruth. There's such a contrast between gratitude and ingratitude, and in the Bible, there's one account that highlights this contrast between gratitude and ingratitude. Where? Where do we see that? In the account of the 10 lepers. In the account of the 10 lepers, they come to the Lord Jesus to be cured of their leprosy. Their need was desperate, their need was dire, and apart from the healing power of the Lord Jesus, there was no hope for them, and their future was bleak. That's how the account opens up for us in Luke 17:11. And it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God. He fell down on his face, giving him thanks. He was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, were there not 10 cleansed? Where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God save the stranger? And he said unto him, arise, go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. See, this account opens with a desperate condition of 10 men that were lepers they had watched their body slowly be eaten up by leprosy. Imagine watching your fingers being consumed away and your toes and eventually knowing it's going to just creep up and take my life. Imagine what that's like to have to stay far from everyone else who's not a leper and to cry out unclean, unclean as an announcement to others that you have leprosy to stay away. In Ethiopia, 90-pound women work hard carrying 150, 200-pound loads of rocks. And they do that so often that it deforms their hips and their pelvic muscles become deformed. And so that when they have babies, they become incontinent. They can't hold urine. And they are not accepted in public. According to Ethiopian culture, they cannot go in public because they're incontinent. And they have to stay in their huts, and they're dependent on others to visit them and bring them food and water. It's terrible life. And there's a famous hospital in Addis Ababa called Hamlin Fistula Hospital that surgically repairs these women's damage from childbirth. Women do anything to get to this hospital run by Dr. Hamlin and a chance to get their lives back again. And the plight of these lepers is worse because no one could visit them because they were contagious. There was no hospital, Hamlin Hospital for them to go to for repair. That's why in Luke 17, 12, it says 10 men were lepers, stood afar off. I mean, here was their one and only opportunity to be healed. The Lord Jesus was passing through the middle of the area between Samaria and Galilee. It's now or never. It's no wonder in Luke 17, 13 that they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They called him Master. They simply asked him to have mercy on them. They didn't speak the words of unbelief. They didn't speak the words of the father previously who came to him in Mark 9.22 when he was saying, oftentimes I cast my son into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. The words if thou canst do anything are the words of unbelief. And he showed, he showed the father at that time well, that nothing was gonna happen with his son if he stayed in that state of unbelief and he said he turned it around in mark 9:23 Jesus said unto them unto him if thou canst believe all things are possible to him to believe this was not the case with these lepers they believed that the lord jesus could heal him heal them all and they were asking the lord just have mercy on us just have mercy and the lord he didn't heal them instantly he didn't he just said go show yourself to the priest and that was what was required in order to be for a person to be get the official pronouncement that he's free of leprosy, the priest had to examine, the priest had to make the declaration. So without even healing him, they're walking, they're still lepers, he commands them, go to the priest. That was just like when Naaman, the Syrian leper, came to the prophet Elijah, and Elisha told him, go dip yourself in the Jordan River seven times, and you'll be healed. And if Naaman didn't believe, he had a little trouble at first, but finally he did. But anyway, if he didn't believe and go and dipped himself seven times, he wouldn't have been healed. He would have been a leper, continued leper. But he did go, he dipped himself seven times, he was healed. If those lepers did not believe and start on their way, going to the priest, as he had said to them, they would not have been healed of leprosy. But those they, 10 lepers, they did go on their way, and they were healed as they went. Then an amazing thing happened. One leper, who was not Jewish, but he was a Samaritan. He turns back and, with a loud voice, glorifies God. How? By giving thanks for his healing. Nine lepers who were Jewish did not turn back and give him thanks for their healings. That's an amazing thing, was that the one who turned back was a Samaritan. And that's not what really amazed the Lord, that this one turned back. What was amazing to him? The nine that didn't. That's what amazed him. Isn't the nine Jewish ones that didn't turn back give thanks? He's amazed. He says, I don't get it. Weren't there 10 that were cleansed? Well, where's the nine? Well, you know, I can't find them except this stranger. See, the Lord Jesus was amazed, and he asked the question. I thought there were 10 cleansed. Well, where are the nine? See, the question the Lord Jesus asked us shows how, how rare believers' gratitude is. They were all believers. They all believed he was going to be healed. They all walked. They got healed. But how rare believers' gratitude is. All 10 of those lepers believed that the Lord Jesus had the power to heal them because they all obeyed when he said to go and they did that. But nine of those believing lepers showed no gratitude for having been cleansed. Only one of those believing lepers was inwardly thankful for his cleansing. Luke 17, 15, and one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back with a loud voice, glorified God, fell down on his face, giving him thanks. He was Samaritan. One of them, Or we could say only one of them turned back, giving him thanks. That shows the rareness of believers' gratitude. And we're so often like those 10 lepers. We're more ready to pray than praise. We're more ready to ask than thank. We're more ready to get than give. We're more ready to go on rather than to turn back. And this passage is talking about believers, 10 believing lepers We're so ready to talk and brag about our salvation and what we have in the Lord Jesus while forgetting all the time how we owe everything to him, all to him. We as believers get caught in this trap, this trap of ingratitude, where we do as the believers suffer because we suffer from anxiety, we suffer from worry, we suffer from apprehension. All because of ingratitude. It leaves us in this state of unrest. And when we're in this state of anxiety and worry and apprehension and unrest, we're not whole. And when we see this one leper, we see a rare believer. He fell down on his face, at his feet, giving him thanks. Seen the same rarity in Ruth. Ruth 2.10, she fell on her face, bowed herself to the ground. And we see what happened to this rare, grateful, believing leper when the Lord said, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. Wait a minute. He was already whole from his leprosy. That's not what he was talking about. The Lord said, thy faith hath made thee whole. He was already whole. He was not just referring to the outward cleansing of his leprosy. He was speaking of his inward cleansing of his ingratitude. And there's a reward for gratitude in the believer. And this reward is a calming of the storm of anxiety. Gratitude brings the reward of the calming of the storm of anxiety. Gratitude brings the reward of the cure from the consuming disease of worry. Gratitude brings the reward of the release from the grip of apprehension. All these rewards come to the one grateful person, we see in the leper, one grateful leper, of these 10, they came, all these rewards came to grateful Ruth. And all these rewards are available to us, to the rare believer who is grateful. So, what do we do? We surrender ourselves to God. We determine to mold our daily attitude so that our hearts can enjoy these rewards of wholeness that gratitude brings, which is basically the reward of rest. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for. Ruth and her heart of gratitude and thank you for that one leper and his heart of gratitude. Help us to be rare ones in Jesus' name. Amen. Another wonderful day studying
2: the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, 330 Santee, California, 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God,